0: Welcome to Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion and culture with the personalities that shape it. My guest this week is author David Coggins. If you're not familiar with him, you've most likely read his words in the many publications he's written for, such as Esquire, The Wall Street Journal, Condé Nast Traveler, and A Continuous Lean. There are many things I can say about David. For starters, he's the best-dressed guy in the room. He's also almost always in the room. I'm serious. I go to this GQ party or this event in Italy, and he's there, just sitting in the corner, chatting to folks with his perfectly aged fedora on, sipping some cocktail I tried to make once but messed up and blamed on the ice. If I had to describe his style, it's somewhere between an Italian Cary Grant crossed with Hemingway. I'm not kidding. Actually, it's funny. We recorded this pod in his apartment, and I lost my mind when I walked in. It's this incredible American rustic vibe. He's got the leather-bound books in a massive bookshelf, the worn-in leather chairs in the corner, all on top of vintage Persian rugs. It's beautiful. Funny side note, if you Google search Cool New York Apartments, you'll see his apartment. David and I spoke about his recent book, Men in Style, and his collaboration with Drake's. We also talk about the late Glenn O'Brien, fandom, and learning what it means to express yourself in the digital age. This episode is brought to you by Frank Clegg Leatherworks, a family-owned business handcrafting leather briefcases, travel luggage, totes, and accessories celebrating over 45 years of dedicated craftsmanship in America. Available at frankclegg.com. I've owned my Frank Clegg leather tote for years, and it's broken in beautifully. It's the perfect mix of ruggedness and elegance that I can carry when I'm wearing a suit or I'm just wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Reach out to the folks at Frank Clegg and tell them Jeremy sent you. That's frankclegg.com. Frank C-L-E-G-G dot com. Love for you to introduce yourself.
1: I'm David Coggins,
0: uh, the writer,
1: author of the book Men in Style, and of a forthcoming book, which we may or may not
0: discuss later. Okay. So, um, first off, thank you so much for coming on. No, my pleasure. Um, the big thing that I want I want to get into is you're one of the most mysterious, <laughs> but exciting and aspirational guys I've ever met. Um, and b- before like, I-, I start to uh, elaborate and explain really heavily on this, every single party I've been at, I look over and am like, oh, yeah, it's David. <laughs> David's there.
1: It's, it's funny you say that because I don't think anyone considers themselves mysterious. You know, y- y- you're living your life from the inside. It all seems quite predictable and, in fact, fairly even even-handed, but it is nice to see you at a party. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I don't follow my advice for other people. I always tell people about parties. It's nice to circulate and talk to someone, but if I see one of the two or three people I really want to see, I do often park myself in the corner, which is not really what a host wants to see. Nah, that's it, fine.
0: <laughs> I, it's funny, yeah, because a lot of parties, like you have this sort of, everyone go out and be social, but if I'm at a party, I, yeah, I look for the couple people I know, and I'm like... Ah. I don't even know where to begin with that other person, and uh, th- here's a good non sequitur, let's stand here.
1: <laughs> you learn so much about yourself by your relation to socializing as you get older. <laughs> yeah. And at if, if one point, you really wanted to be invited to things, and by the time you get invited to those things, then you're much more particular about what you want. And then, <laughs> but that's just so true about life in general. I remember when I was the fairly dreadful host of a, a college radio show, I think my first show was Two to 5 a.m. at Friday night. This is a, in Maine. Okay. 91.5 FM, Lewis in Maine. <laughs> uh, and by the time we, I got like a good time slot, senior year, when I sort of knew what I was doing, then it was no longer of interest to me. Then I, I would have somebody sub for me. I didn't really want to do it. Um, I, and I think we recorded those shows, uh, uh, those tapes uh, of those I mean, recorded them on a Maxell audio tape. Oh, respect.: <laughs> That is really something I'm glad I have in my own possession, and no one else does, because that would that, that, that could be some rough blackmail material. <laughs> me, me playing cribbage on the radio with my friend. I mean, we were such goofs back then. it was. It was, a little, it was a little concept-y for 3am uh, in okay. Maine, but anyway, now we've got podcasts, you can listen to them whenever you want. Yeah, that's and, true. It would be funny to me if someone listened to this it, in Maine at 3am, it, it would full circle.
0: Someone told me that they're like, yeah, I love to listen to Blamo. Uh, the conversations are great, and it's really good to fall asleep to. And I was like, <laughs> oh, uh, thanks, man. It, I, that, that's the best
1: <laughs> two-handed double-edged compliment going. But but I do know what they mean because I listen to certain things that I like to fall asleep to and I think people used to people used to talk about Johnny Carson is a great to me it's Charlie Rose. Yeah. You know that once he's off that first guest talking about politics and business, okay, I want to hear that and then he moves into the cultural interviewing some architect yeah or somebody about shakespeare and once charlie's waving that book around i'm like okay i can i can tune out here this is out. the
0: ninth inning of a blowout baseball game yeah um so one of the things that i wanted to talk about you yes you're this when i first saw you you were the cool guy with the beard and the hat um and i was like who is this guy and i remember i think uh michael williams our mutual friend yes and introduced me to you at one point and i I was like, Who is this guy, And so you were writing for the rake, mm. you were writing, you know you were to me this and I, this the best possible way. you were like the young man's Bruce Boyer and the the writer the the personality, and the one thing I realized like you're the real McCoy when we got here, I'm just gonna explain to the listeners real quick when we got here, you pulled up, you exited. I don't know it's like two thousand degrees in New York City right now It's very warm and you exit, you get out of the car, you're looking immaculate. You carried a, a cream linen jacket, you're wearing this like handmade Italian blue shirt. you got these like nice kind of rugged american slash italian looking chinos on mm. and it's this hot and you're still wearing it
1: that well thank you um <laughs> i I was not expecting to see you outside my apartment, but I was glad that uh for that to happen, um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think I think I'm older than most people who grew up with the internet. And you're talking about Bruce Boyer or just kind of rakish qualities. And I would consider myself resolutely uncool, just doing the things that I've been interested in for a long time. And that I think, forget me for a second, but for the other people I like, I'm always interested in people who themselves are interested in things. Right. I think we all are attracted to enthusiasm and. And, and even irrational enthusiasm, I like. So you talked about Michael Williams. You know, he's on this golf jag. And I, and I don't golf, <laughs> yeah. but I love that he does that. You know, I, for me, it's fly fishing. But I, I like when people become obsessed with something and do it and make space for themselves to do it because too often our lives keep us from doing the interesting things. We find ourselves busy with the unfun things. Right. And so when someone makes time to go to Sweden or India or to start their own podcast so that to me I, I like that and I like it even if it's not the thing I would do someone wants to learn how to roll pasta or whatever it is and you kind of have to do that you got to make more of an effort and you got to be irrational in a way and I think when I look at the people I'm close to they all have a slight obsessiveness <laughs> um and you know Bruce Boyer has got it too I mean I, I it's very nice to meet someone who's got a lot of clothes cuz you know that they've they're as insane as you are and you don't have to explain to them why you've got twenty knit ties that are almost the same color, and you would think you don't have nearly enough. You're not even apologizing for it. You're like, "Well, I know these other two have got a slot in here." Yeah, and that's what I love love about Bruce and Michael and all, 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 I'm sure other friends of, of
0: ours, right? Um, one of the things, the other thing we'll get into, uh, you're a writer, but when I first was kind of like doing my googling on you, mm. you are. It's like in the blood. Like your Mm. dad's a writer too. My dad, Big David. Yeah, you know, Big D. He,
1: my pop. I'm I'm very close to him, and uh, we travel together. He's an artist and a writer. And you know, when I was in college in Maine, when I wasn't DJing, (laughs) uh, I studied art and literature. Um, Where'd you go to school? I went to college at at Bates College, um, a wonderful small liberal arts school. And I uh, had, a, had a really good experience there. Um, traveled a lot even when I was there, but, you know, read a lot of books. I, I, I'm, this is a, probably more old-fashioned than the way I dress, but I'm, I believe in, like, liberal arts education for certain people and, and reading a lot of things. And, and, um, and I had a good, good time there. And then I went, I lived in Japan for a year in Tokyo. Really? And was probably a not great English teacher. I was just happy to be there. Learned a lot about Japanese food, traveled a lot, went to India, then came back to New York and went to art school. I, I got my master's degree at Parsons and was making a kind of, it was just skirt over this, a kind of conceptual work. And, and it was, I love art. It's sort of my first love along with literature, but it, I was not cut out to be an artist. And I started to write about it. And that that was really how I got into things. I was I wrote I interned at Modern Painters when it was still a great magazine and based in in London one summer. And then I started to write for Art in America. And that that was what I did for many years. And that was before I knew any of you guys, before before the blogosphere, before a continuous lean, before a lot of the things that we that are really the framework of our how, how we know the world now. And, and it was a big deal when I got to a point where I said, I don't just want to write about art. I want to write about other things I love, travel, wine, fly fishing, tailoring. And so I would go to editors and say, can I write about these things? And they said, no. Uh, <laughs> we haven't seen, show, show us your, your samples of this stuff. And I said, well, I haven't done it before. Give me a chance and I'll do it. You, right. know, you know I can do it. And they said, well, we need to, I need to tell someone else I need to show them examples of your work. So even though I had been writing in print and cover stories for Art in America, I had to kind of go back, retrench, write online again for $50 a story, or even free at the Huffington Post, and, uh, and write about all this, all this stuff I cared about, and build up a collection of work, and then I could finally get to do it. And that was kind of a big gamble for me, and one that worked out because I'm I'm happy to be able to write about all this stuff that I care about. But it wasn't obvious that that was going to happen. And that's why I always really respect people who hire people who haven't done that thing before, because oh. it was so hard for me to write about these things. And now, one thing that I, when I edit, and when I work with Drake's on Common Thread, I like try to get people to write, uh, uh, people who are actors or don't write a lot, but have a good story to tell, and it doesn't have to be... You know, high literature they're not writing a book or crying out loud but they can write a funny story about being on the red carpet if they're an actor and write about other things that they care about and i i really really respect like someone like andy spade who yeah. he he sees a young talented person he said come we'll hire you to do this or his famous story about mr mort that he was working in the store and, and he was going on vacation and said, Okay, just design the windows, do what you would like and your friends would like and I'll see him I'll see you when I come back from a long weekend. Like
0: that's amazing.
1: And yeah. that and that
0: spirit is something I, I really, really admire. What where did this come from? I mean you had said you went to school in Maine, but where where are you were originally from? I'm from Minneapolis. Okay. Um, that's
1: still where my parents live and then we have a, a cabin in Wisconsin. I, I, I love Minneapolis. It was a great place to grow up. Um, but uh, Wisconsin is where I go now at, to our, our cabin there that on um, a Lake and my great-grandfather built and is a pretty special place, a very simple place, um, but a place where our family comes together and in a way is like our more intense versions of ourselves. We can cook there and swim and boat and do all those types of things, and I can fish. But our, my parents, who were huge influences on me, we traveled a lot. We yeah. went to Europe. On a regular basis, and they instilled a love. They also, my parents did some theater design, some set design. We grew up, my sister and I grew up around actors and who would come over to our house every night, every Monday night, every week, and have kind of big dinner parties. And many of them were French. And so we grew up um, used to being around adults and used to being around people drinking and grilling and smoking cigarettes and telling stories. And, And I think that was a huge impact on my sister and me and then you, you see these things as you get older when you're young of course you think it's normal yeah but none of it's normal but no, I mean, no no one's is normal this is like a wes anderson thing well, you're saying it <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it's amazing. got some of you know <laughs> when you're on the inside you don't think it's as precious as it is and I, but you are, you do realize and as i get older how lucky you are and not even not even um lucky in the l- lucky in the sense that you're i mean not to get sentimental but loved and and taught to appreciate things or, or or shown to appreciate them. Interior design, antiques, you know, all the like uncomfortable furniture we, my sister and I grew up with that, you know, we didn't like at the time or not, <laughs> yeah. you know, not ever having a microwave or, you know, never cable and no sugar cereal, all that stuff. And then, of course, you realize there's a point for that. And if you were forced to wear a collared shirt and you couldn't be too sloppy, that those things... As you get older, you realize there was a reason that that, that was drilled into you. Yeah,
0: there's like there's a, definitely a certain work ethic too that you're speaking of. I mean, one of the things, and I'll I'll say this for the listeners: when I walked in here, we sat down, we were talking for a bit. You know, you opened a bottle of wine. This this is also yeah my first open container pod here. <laughs> um, and you, uh, we were talking about a mutual friend that we had met, and you had grabbed a book off the shelf and you started reading the book out loud, like. The passion that you have for the things that you care about is really cool. And it's also, excuse my poor adjective, but like, it's, I don't know, like, it, it, it's very exciting to me and inspiring to see someone who cares so much about this stuff. And I think that that what's happening now is everything is a thumbs up, thumbs down society, a heart, a no heart society. And I've, I won't go down this rabbit hole, but like you, if... If we ever did, like you're the person that needs to be on there, because I feel like you genuinely value the substance and the nuance of why things are, what they are, Mm. and it's it's really exciting for me. Well, thank you. I I mean,
1: as I was saying earlier, I like people who like things, and I like people who teach me things. Yeah, and the people we I think are attracted to to become our friends are people who know about something we don't know. They know about architecture. They grew up in Pennsylvania and tell you something about. George Washington country, I don't know about that, or they've, they've gone fishing in Iceland, or they've hitchhiked, and those things are different than what we're into, and I think enthusiasm is what... I, I don't see how I could be close to someone, a man or a woman, who, di- who didn't feel strongly towards the things they cared about. That seems like a really human thing, that we... It is true, like our everything has been sped up so much, yeah. and you need a hot take, and you need to show how much you like something or you just and and, you know that can get exhausting and i think it can also be overrated you just pull back from 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 the fast lane as well when that one reason that i love to go to wisconsin and also why i love to go to montana or when i go fishing is i'm around people who have no idea who i am and what i do and not only that they don't particularly care too much, <laughs> you know. Like, like I mean, when you're in New York, you get revved up on somebody got this award, or they didn't deserve that, or this review was good, or now he's writing there, and, and you know all those things. You know, they matter. We all are sure. ambitious, and we all want to get to the place we want to get to. But it's also good to be around someone who just that doesn't register with them, and it kind of helps you put it in perspective. As I get older, I probably spend half my time in New York, half my time away, and that time away is really important to me. I mean, of course, it's fun to 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 go to Italy or to, to be upstate New York fishing or whatever it is. But it also it, it it reminds you that not everything is how many stars Pete Wells gave to a, a restaurant or <laughs> right. or um, what dish you have to get or even the kind of now the sort of pettiness we feel towards. It's like we're we're critiquing everybody's online presence, and I mean, I do that too sometimes, and that can be fun. But it's almost like we have to protect ourselves from our kind of manufactured grievances. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I you know, if I like we all do that to a certain extent and I'm guilty too. And and I, I, I love Instagram and I love following people who people I don't even know and travel and live in in an interesting place and I like to see rural Sweden or whatever else it is. But I, I think we have to um instead of blaming the medium, we have to take control a little bit of how much we we dive into it. It's yeah. easy to say all these things are happening, all these trends are there, but I guess as I'm I'm starting to think more about taking control of how much we go down
0: those rabbit holes. Yeah, I, that's, it's interesting you, you mentioned about controlling the medium. I know a bunch of people whom what they'll do is occasionally like I'm scrolling through Instagram or whatever and I see this like signing off for a while <laughs> and it's like I, I'm going to vent for 10 seconds and then we're going to talk vent about baby. your book, which I love, but he, he's... He wrote, you know, I'm signing off for a while. I need some, I need some time. And then he said, if you want to get in touch with me, (laughs) here's my Tumblr, here's this. And it's like all these other social media outlets. And I'm like, look, if you can't be a, a big kid and live in the big kid world and just know how, like, I wrestle with that, like. I don't really buy ice cream that often because I don't know how to have Ben and Jerry's without having the whole pint. The whole pint, yeah. So
1: <laughs> you got to know your. It's like the half bottle of wine. Yeah, I mean these things exist for a reason. It's it's called they don't trust your self control. Yeah. No, I, I. There's a weird performative aspect. I think that's what makes people. That's what revs them up is that they think uh, they're around somebody who's just taking the foot almost going to the restaurant so they can take the photo of it or almost right. and they sign off in this dramatic way. It's like nobody cares. Nobody cares if you're not there. I mean, I think one of the funniest we should have learned this by now because we live in New York. One of the things that's wonderful about this city is how impersonal it can be. It's like if you leave, it doesn't miss you. And if you leave Twitter or Instagram, it does they don't miss you either. It's true. And but we're because we're the stars of our own life, we think that um someone's going to notice that we haven't posted a photo in two days. And, and if someone notices that they're probably your ex-girlfriend
0: yeah. or someone who's do- stalking you or
1: someone who doesn't even like, <laughs> like, like they're just going to slag you anyway. So I, you know, I, it's funny. It's like, we're, we haven't settled on the way to express ourselves in the digital age. I think that's something that isn't that we're still dealing with. I mean, think of right. all from the time you've moved to New York and just being on a podcast that didn't exist. And and that makes us, I I feel like we're more critical of other people, partially because we're insecure about our own, the own way we're expressing ourselves, though we would never admit that. Right. And I I think, if I can even pull back to say something about human nature. Go for (laughs) it. Is that often (laughs) the things that annoy us are things that are one degree further than ourselves. So if I'm at, at pity, and I'm probably spending far too much time about thinking about clothes, and I'm around someone who thinks even more about them than that person infuriates me, and I say, oh, his priorities are all out of whack, when in reality, he's so close to me, I just can't bear the closeness. Uh. You know, it's like everybody has a friend who drinks too much, but that person just drinks one more drink than they do, or whatever it is. or is. They're financially um, spending too much, And and it's always the closest one to us. And if someone gets uh it's interesting to me that if any anybody probably cr- criticize about how they promote uh, portray themselves on instagram is probably very close to how you do it
0: yourself yeah that's you know? <laughs> <No>, <laughs> true um i want to jump a bit to yes. your book because when i you know as i was rambling a bit here when i met you and saw the stuff that you were writing at the time it was all menswear based and it was very polite and in- informative but also I think some people, they develop this writing voice that is um, very mocking of like, you're an idiot. Let me show you how to put on a shirt. And you're like, I could read your stuff and I realize that I'm learning, but also you will constantly loop in other experts and other people. And that led to creating your book, which is a, a series of essays. Um, can we can we talk just a little bit about how that started? Yeah, Well, well,
1: just the writing in general to me, that I always start with, well, what, what's interesting to me, what's a good story?" And that's a good place to start, meaning, who, who makes something that's good, and if somebody makes a bamboo fishing rod or a beautiful suit or a wine a certain way, or something I know nothing about, I'm interested in that, and, mm-hmm. if, and I like to start there. And I also like to know what p- interesting people do, because often it's not the exact thing you would have thought. So when I st- started to write men in style, um, the idea for that was, uh, well, I was about to turn 40, and, and I, I wanted to have a book. Okay. I, w- I was not going to have a child. I was not going to own a house. And I was going to have a book. So the book, the book <laughs> process started, and I th- thought, well, what, what have I been getting to be 40? You start to see certain things, and you grow out of some habits you had that you didn't even realize you had. And I started to look at the interesting men that I knew who were kind of that age, and, and going back to your parents and fathers, I, w- I was a little more sympathetic, and I think other people are sympathetic, too, to their fathers as they get to the age that, instead of seeing them just as their dad, they see what they did for their sons, for yeah. themselves. And uh, something you might relate to as well. And um, so it was twofold. My essays, things that I'd written, what does it mean to dress, but also what does dressing say about you? And, how you fit into the world, and then talking to interesting men about their fathers, how they dress as boys, what their fathers taught them, and how they develop their own style and and style like the clothes were just a way to express how how they develop their worldview, and and it's great it's great to hear these people talk about it. In some cases, they were lucky and were very close to their parents the way I was, and and had a not privilege in the material sense, but privilege in the cultural capital that was invested in them in, as a young age, which yeah. is really a blessing. And in other cases, there are people who, who learned a lot and had to teach themselves a lot. And regardless, I mean, I admire men who have their own point of view. I think one thing that's important mm-hmm. Be talking about mocking or writing about menswear, I don't want everyone to dress like me. I'm not, I don't advocate <laughs> being like me at all. I like people who are the best version of themselves and make a good case for that. And I think that we respond to men like that, whether they dress in, in denim and live in Marfa or whether they're Italian heirs who wearing outrageous double breasted suits that their yeah. grandfathers owned. Th- there is room for all of those people if you do it with a sense of perspective and kind of celebrate being alive. And so the book came together in a way that was exciting for me because it was about way more than me. And all the men that I talked to, they gave me photos of their fathers as young men, who, who are, which are incredible. Some of them when they were in the military, some of them with their shirts off, some of them when they grew up in Asia or other places. It's incredible to see this. And, and in one case, it's Gregory Peck's son, and, who had 50-something suits made by huntsman and was an impeccable Jeez. dresser, and, and his son and giving him an Eskimo kiss, or, or just wonderful human things. And I think what I look for in anything is, is the, the human side of it, and, and how we feel more connected and, and, and recognize our own human impulses. And, and the clothes were, in a way, just a vehicle to do that, because the book is not telling you how to wear a bow tie or a tuxedo or anything like that specific. And uh, actually, it's funny to read the occasional incredibly angry Amazon review where they're like, this book taught me nothing. It gave me no rules. It's not a rule book. It's You're supposed to maybe learn from what interesting men did and the mistakes they made and how, what <laughs> yeah. they learned from those mistakes, the mistakes we've all made. I mean, that's why there's nothing more damning than a prom photo, because you thought <laughs> you knew everything when you were 17 and you looked like a clown all the guys do, the women usually are much more sophisticated, and you're about to pile into a limousine, listening yeah. to like the worst white, it's just a, t- a terrible situation in <laughs> yeah. most cases, and, and almost those, those photographs remind you that you always think you know exactly what's going on, and usually when you look back a few years later, you can't even believe you did what you did when you were 17 or then 27. And- Yeah. Maybe even 37.
0: Well, and it's funny, because there's, you know, Alan Flusser wrote Mm. the uh, Dressing the Man. Sure. Which is is this book that's all about how to dress. And it is, I think, when people think of style books, that's, like, one of the first things that they think of. And so, in a way, it's it's not, you know, I would argue it's not really fair to, um, like, books that you're doing and things like that, that... I think your thing is it's more of when I read it, yes, there's some great like, you know, sartorial advice and tales in there, but I looked at it looked at it more as the celebration of family and what that looks like. And I think cause it to scale back for a second, there's a lot of people who when you mention a father, there's not necessarily great memories that pop in their head. Um That's a real thing. Yeah. I, I mean I think one one thing about
1: when you realize you're close with someone and I should say my dad, you know, I, I still see him. I travel with him. We've had our share of, you know, disagreements and he, I definitely think he thinks I'm overdressed a lot of the time, <laughs> but, but you your also, dad dressed the way you do. No, he, he's a big guy. He loves color and pattern. He's much bolder. He thinks he doesn't like to wear a tie. Uh, he dresses like an artist, but, uh, he's got his own, his own thing going on. He looks great. And, uh, and I think you, you, you got to be sympathetic to other people who didn't, didn't have all the advantages you had. Advantages in a broad sense. Sure. And I also think, um, I, I, th- I think it's interesting to me what, how we, what we want these days. And if you take Alan Flusser's book, which is great, that, that teaches you, is it's like a one-on-one course, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's starting and giving you a basic education, a groundwork. A foundation, and now, okay. Let's say you've moved beyond that, or you know these basic, basic things. And I should say I, I read that book meticulously many, many times. Yeah, same and, and was awed by it. And and then, to me, what's interesting is okay. Well, what's the next level? What? How do you mix these things together? How do you interpret what we think of as timeless or classic style and make sense for today's world, where a lot of those, um, a lot of the education that we had, sartorial education. Is under fire, you might say. Not everybody's, no one's wearing coat and tie to work every day. No. And, and I think, but I do think there, we're lacking some sort of guidance. There's no place to look for suggestions. And I think it's, that's why there's this crisis to a certain extent. I think, I think magazines don't always provide the authority they once did. I think that some of them are getting better at that. Some of them have given up on doing that. Yeah. And uh, so it's interesting to me how people, find their information. And, and I think there's a desire for just to know what the norms are, even if you react against them. And, and I think it, it, stores are struggling with this too. I, Brooks Brothers or Paul Stewart or even Barney's and Ralph and all these other places. It, 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 it's, there's a little bit of a crisis of the establishment. And I think you say, oh, well, that's good. But it isn't that good because if you have... At least an accepted establishment, then you know what you're doing when you're reacting against it. And right now, it's just kind of anarchy.
0: That's a real good.
1: It's real good and, real good and, and <laughs> chaos. And and I don't think people really know when they're reacting against something. Now they just do whatever they think they feel like doing. And my number one, not my number one, but one of the things that I kind of bums me out is when people talk about, oh well, I'm this is I'm comfortable in this, and a little bit about being a man and and becoming more sophisticated is kind of raising the level of what you're comfortable in. When, mm-hmm. I see, when I see an older man in a gray flannel suit eating alone in a French cafe, I assure you he's very comfortable. <laughs> and, and he's not in a tracksuit on an airplane. Yeah, And, and raise the lever, level of what you think comfort is. I mean, that, that's the child who you come down and you want to wear your pajamas to school and you argue with your mom, well, why can't I wear them? I love these. These are my, whatever, my superhero pajamas. I'm comfortable in them. This is what grown men are doing now. They're wearing their equivalent of pajamas, but more like their workout clothes to work and think that that's some sort of virtue, that that's a sign of being authentic, when in fact, it's just a sign of not, not asking as much of themselves as they can.
0: Oh, see, I like how you put that, because if you would have had me talk a little bit about the fact that people don't dress the way that they used to in terms of like traditional classic menswear my initial response is like, well, people are just lazy and you want to have your own identity and I don't know why it's a New York accent there, <laughs> but like, like you want to do whatever you want and it's, I think there's a little bit of an issue right now in the fact that because there's so many influences, there's so many places to find information, there's so many, everything is also based around like celebrities and how they mm. do it that there's no center. There's no center point on where to grow from and I, and I would just immediately write all of that stuff off. It's like, look, you're, you're not wearing the sweatpants because you want to be comfortable. You're wearing the sweatpants because somebody told you to wear the sweatpants. And in a way, you could argue that about classic menswear in that like I'm dressing this way because this is the way it's supposed to be.
1: I guess it's always going to be a little tricky when you're talking about someone's motivation. Yeah. What I know is that when I see someone who dresses nicely, they're making an effort. And they're communicating something about how they fit into the world and the people that they meet within it. And I like that, no matter what it is. When someone makes an effort for other people, we always are going to respond to that. When they do something like, I'm just doing what I need to do for myself, I don't like that. <laughs> and and I, think, and I think... Selfishness versus well, respect? Ex- ex- selfishness versus... I don't think any of us like it, but I also think that we there used to be some sense of what it meant to be in public, how you would act, how you would dress. Right. And, and I, I think we sense that that is not, that that's lacking now. And the next book I'm working on has to do with this. It's about men and manners. And a lot of the same issues. The world has changed so much. Um, we don't have a, a guiding light uh, on how to behave gender roles have called, changed yep uh, your girlfriends earning more money than you or nor- knows more about wine than you do but the wine list comes to you or some the check comes to you it's a confusing time and you want to be sensitive and you want to be enlightened and you want to be a vegetarian and you can't you can't wrap it up in a way but i do think all of those things what they what relates them is is how how when you're in public are you a better version of yourself and are you trying to make other people's lives easier or are you just doing whatever you have to do to get your bag in the overhead compartment? <laughs> and 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 you can you can tell when someone has that quality and when someone has a more patient quality. And and I I know it's crazy but I had this idea that I was always going to wear a sport coat on a on a plane and I
0: how's that working out? 100% Damn, uh,
1: and, not, wow. and not and not only that, I recommend it to other people. And when I see someone doing it, who you wouldn't expect to do it—not just a businessman who's jabbering on his phone, uh, but but a younger guy who's dressed nicely—it makes you happier, and you feel like he's doing his part. Or if I if, forget the clothes for a second, if you just see someone on a plane when everybody's unhappy, and they're the patient one, and they're the one who's not, just shows extra seconds worth of of ease or grace yeah it makes you feel better and i and i do think it matters and i mean you can get bogged down in all these things but um and this is getting bogged down is writing a book about it and, <laughs> and, and thinking about it way too much but i i do think that when when i when you see somebody dress well it makes you feel a little bit better about about the world Just for a second or two, and then then you go back (laughs) to your other
0: grievances. Well, but I think one of the things that I'm really glad that you're doing um, is since uh, the style guy kind of stopped, I know that Mark Anthony Green is doing the style guy, but I would say it's a very different version of the style guy that I'm used to. Uh, The one that I was used to was Glenn O'Brien, and it's... Damn shame that Glenn O'Brien is no longer with us. But there's really not anyone that I know of to pick up that baton. And I think you're the guy to do it. Well, thank you. I mean, that, that,
1: I like Mark. Mark's great. But, you know, Glenn was a mentor to me and a huge, huge influence as he has been on many other people. Um, Just to say a word, I mean, he wrote the forward to my book, which was uh, probably the best part of Men in Style. I mean, he just, (laughs) he, He did it as a favor. He didn't charge me. I was supposed to buy him dinner, and he said, "I said, well, you owe me a favor. Maybe I'll have you move a body," which was such a Glenn thing to say. (laughs) And um, the fact that he liked it was, um, you know, mattered a lot to me because he showed me so many things for more a decade of my life. I mean, he he was someone who, who who dressed beautifully in his own way and he was great in advertising he wrote wonderful books he was yeah. a terrific editor i mean for for somebody who had his own identity so well he was a marvelous editor which to me is an incredible compliment for someone because that's about making other people better not about him at all i mean i would joke that often he would change my pieces to make a line that turned out to be the funniest line and people would say they thought it was funny to me and i would say well glenn added that in. and of course glenn <laughs> loved that and and somebody like that Glenn had a sense of occasion. He used that phrase very often. He had no problem wearing a tuxedo or wearing a suit, and he was comfortable everywhere he went. And I think there's something to be said for that. And I think he brought an artfulness to writing ads, which is a complete lost art, mm-hmm. and and had a sense of who he was. There'll never be anybody like that. And, and I only even knew him in his later career. I, he had a whole... A TV party and everything else going right before before any of us were even stuff. in new york and, yeah. and, and, and somebody like that is you know just makes you proud to you know live in this city and that that could even happen is just a lot and without him around it it changes things and 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 different magazines have different prerogatives, and you can't just do what he did and I do think it needs to be updated, but he was modern as hell. I mean nothing made me happier than watching him on Twitter during a Jets game, freak out about... Yeah, he was completely <laughs> modern in that regard. I mean, he's used any technology that was available, you know, f- making fun of Rex Ryan and all the dreadful Jets decisions, and I, I loved that about him. And, and it, he was profane and knew strange people and c- had f- faith in obscure poets, but then he would be getting on the phone with Kate Moss or something or... I mean, what what an incredible person, and and um, he was connected to so many people that he knew for decades longer than he knew me. I, I put myself low on that list, but that he could do that, make that connection with me, right? He he made it with with hundreds of people, and not to mention thousands of readers. In any case,
0: yeah, I I sat next to him um, by chance at a sickie, uh sicky M show, uh, fashion week, and I. It was me and Lawrence Schwassman was sitting next to me. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, it's Gwen O'Brien. And I was trying to think of like, what sort of icebreaker, weird, non sequitur thing can I say to just get a response out of him? And I ended up just being like, hey, I'm a fan. And I was like, shit. I I couldn't find the right words. And he was like, I'm sorry. And I was like, oh, uh, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, I was like, I'm a big fan of your writing and and everything that you've, you've done has been a huge influence on me. And he looked at me and he was like, oh. Uh, yeah, that's nice. And then I tried to, like, make small talk with him after the show. And, like, so, for those of you who aren't completely aware of Sikiem, like, his stuff is kind of, uh, very, like, fashion nouveau parachute pants, asymmetrical cut shirts. And I was like, that was really interesting, huh? And one of the things that he said, and I'm, this is not the exact quote, but he was like, well, he's like, there's a lot of stuff that I see. He's like, but um, you can still appreciate stuff even if you're not going to wear it. And I was like, damn it. I was trying to look cool in front of you and now you drop this beautiful knowledge bomb comment. No, well,
1: you, you can trust him to have the exact right witticism. I, I mean, yeah. there could be a history of the incorrect overtures to people we admire. I, I mean, that's not, you're not the only one who's done that. And, and, and certainly not with Glenn, but with many people, or, or even if you get to the front of the book signing or in, you try to say something that is profound or co- complimentary or it just comes out the wrong way and um i've I, I when i met david chase i don't think i said the right thing or john hamm or something like that i was legitimately nervous and it it's you hope to get to a point where you don't care so much about those things but maybe when you don't care about those things then you it's like, you stop going to concerts and you don't want that, do you? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, if you met Morrissey, what would you say? I mean, it'd be very difficult. You'd tr- probably try to quote him to him, and that is not <laughs> going to do it. You gotta, the bar has got to be raised higher than that. Yeah. Though I did know somebody who stalked Morrissey in a bar, in a hotel in oh, Minneapolis God. in 1990 and pretended to be the flower delivery guy. Oh, no. And, and said something to him about how much he loved him and all the rest of it. and Morrissey as the story went, was just paused and said, I'm blushing, <laughs> which was a very good way to do it. But uh, yeah, fan, fandom. What are you going to do, though? If you, don't, if you don't go through those crises, it's almost like you aren't letting yourself care enough about someone to be nervous. Yeah, I mean, nervousness is a sign of, is one of the most human things we can have. You know? right. But in the moment, it's very rough. Yeah. I did that with David Byrne once, very bad. No, no, but just like, I was too many drinks, and the Odeon, and he didn't want to be bothered, and actually, maybe he just didn't want to be perceived to be
0: bothered. Yeah, I feel like that may be every single person's exchange with David Byrne, because <laughs> yeah. he's just such a, a weirdo. Um, I mean, I've never met him, but he's just got that, that quirk to him. Um, one of the things that I want to make sure that we talk about... Uh, so, you're the first writer I've ever met that has his own clothing line, <laughs> basically. Uh, one of the things that I know that you do, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about this, is you uh, not only edited a, like a, a quarterly paper with, with Drake's, but you ended up doing your own sort of like special collection with Drake's. How, how did that happen?
1: Uh, well, that was, it happened to talk about an open container policy, it happened over <laughs> a bunch of open martinis uh Michael Hill who's a creative director and one of the owners of Drake's is just truly one of the terrific people and every time i get depressed about being involved in men's clothing if i think it's a superficial thing or something not really spending your life working with yeah like Massimo Alba and Michael Hill are two of the great great guys who to have a, have a bigger broader view and so when i met Michael in in London we went to Duke's Bar, which is sort of famous for its martinis. Yep. And I said something that I've been trying to do with other at other places. At when I was working at Bergdorf Goodman, when I was working at Freeman's, I always wanted to make a newspaper. And I said, with the enthusiasm of the second gin martini, uh, we should we should do a newspaper. And he said yes. And. I said, no, but we should really do it. And he said, no, no, we really should. <laughs> and All the things you say that then the next day you don't know if it's going to happen. So I emailed him the next day and he said, no, no, let's, in the clear light of day, we're going to do this. And it evolved from being a newspaper into being a really beautiful print publication, which was all Drake's doing. Yeah, And that was really exciting. Um, it's just the sort of thing I like. It's different people's voices. It, some of the things are eccentric or, or kind of minor in a nice way. And a lot of it has to do with the tr- tremendous clothes that Drake's makes, but it's not just about that. So then while we were getting excited about ideas and doing this sort of thing, I said, well, Men in Style is coming out and maybe we should do do some clothes together. And I, you know, I'm obsessed with this narrow range of colored t- knit ties I wear. I said, well, what if we made ties that were kind of similar colored, but to the type of people who are as obsessed as we are, they would look very different. Yeah, And I said, yes, let's do it. I said, well, if we do that, maybe we do a shirt that goes with it. He said, let's do it. <laughs> and I said, if we do that, let's do a sport coat that goes with it. He's like, yes, I know exactly a fabric. And I said, well, in my dream of doing an indoor scarf, which is like a half-length scarf that cleanly covers itself and is short enough to wear under a sport coat to wear inside, I said, well, what about this? And he said, yes. I said, Michael Hill, you are incredible. Uh, and and he had his own take on all those things, and we yeah. kind of worked on it together. And it, it was really fun to do. And because I think clothes, in some way, they've got to be a little bit, um, respond to something that you yourself want, mm-hmm. or are looking for, and trying to do solve some problem you have. And then you want to have some imagination to it, too. And then when you have the incredible knowledge that everybody at Drake's has, they can find and source the right fabrics and the correct construction. So it, it had, just like um, the magazine, it had a lot, more than a lot to do with the great people at Drake's. But it was fun to do, and we did it again for spring mm-hmm. this past year. And what would you w- sort of wear to pity? What are the clothes you wanted there? And so a kind of a white linen coat, that was what I was wearing today. Yeah. And so some big collared shirts and some other kind of unusual colored things that was just fun to do. And they, they have just the right attitude. Uh, about that. And then we've talking about doing it in kind of an inconsistent basis going forward. And, you know, it's a great, they're great people and their new store in New York is fantastic. And, and the the friendships they have with artists and they, they appreciate design in a way that all the people I like, they take a broader view. It, right. it doesn't end with just a sport code. You've got to understand how it fits, in, fits into the world. And, and they're terrific at that. So I'm just, happy to be friends with them
0: yeah michael hill's stuff has always given me a lot of this sounds really dramatic but like hope for the future of menswear like michael hill sid mashburn those guys they they know what they're doing and they they have it dialed in and i think you know it's funny because also they communicate it in a way similar to what i was talking a little bit about you and your style as it's it's informative. It's slightly educational. You don't even realize you're learning. You're just having fun. And, you know, and it's also very attainable. Like, it's, it's not, you know, one of the great things, like, like, I saw Michael when I was at the armory, he would spend just as much time helping someone pick out a good Navy tie as he would, you know, with the suit. I mean, it was more of just like really just that tiny piece of, of putting that on them.
1: He's terrific. I remember before I even knew him, I happened to be in Isetan in Tokyo in the department store, which is by far the greatest department store in the world. uh, Which is not how I start most of my stories. (laughs) I was in Isetan, but Michael Hill was there, and I didn't know him, but I knew I knew who he was, and I knew him by sight. Yeah, and he was helping very exactly what you're saying, helping a potential customer in a very direct, polite, decent way. And I, I that registered with me. It's funny you mentioned Sid Mashburn. So for the next Drake's publication, I interviewed Sid. And Sid is a legend. And, and I think what Drake's does and what Sid does is make really beautiful clothes. And they're proving that people... and Because people respond to those companies in a big way. Oh, yeah. And they go into their stores and they love the experience and the people who work there. And... You've got to have some confidence about what you're doing. You can't act like it doesn't matter. You can't be apologizing for trying to sell a suit or a tie. Once you do that or just try to play the price game, then you're going to lose because then it's a race to the bottom and someone can just undercut you. And if you don't have, if you go to the Sid Mashman store in Atlanta, it puts a lie to every claim people make about men's clothing and no one wants to, men don't like to shop or men don't like to buy a sport coat. They do if they're in a place that, Recognizes who they are. They don't do it in a place that makes you feel like you've got to be dressed up just to go in there. And one thing those places have in common is incredible service. That's totally nonjudgmental, very informative. They help you learn what they're trying to do, and then with the understanding that if you kind of buy into that, then you'll be a person who's going to be a not just a customer of theirs. It's not that kind of cynical, but I do think uh, they they take the long view, and I think that's why it's not a surprise that they're both doing well.
0: Yeah. You were just in Italy for yes. a bit for what how was that? Well, you know, I love
1: pitti. Uh, if you do it in a very uh specific targeted way, I love Neapolitan tailoring and it's a pl- and Italian tailoring in general and there are yeah. plenty of companies that you can only see there and I love seeing the old guys, a lot of its noise. Um you've got a just avoid some of that nonsense, and and, and then of course the the, the clowns prancing around—they're just trying to get photographed—is right. not a great situation. And I think it's easy to make fun of the whole the the whole process just because of a couple dozen people who are wearing feathers or waxing their mustaches or twirling this or having a literal p- parrots on their shoulder. Oh, I mean, I think one one problem with pity is that you take a group of the most vain men in the world. And surround them with even vainer men than they are, and so they think they're fine. <laughs> but at the same time, it's, it's a place where you can see a huge amount of great great clothes and what's happening today, and, and I look for the more traditional things, and, and a few trends, and, and a few other... Um, and, and you can go away, if you're lucky enough to not have to be at the fair all day, every day, right. and you can just go for a few hours, and you're in Florence, and you can eat at Camillo, or you can go to the Santa Croce, or you can eat gelato. or it, It's a great city. Yeah. So you can, and then you just try to meet the people you want to meet or trying to do business with um, editorially or whatever or other situation over over a pasta, and you know, that's a pretty good way to do it. So I'm, I'm pro-pity if you can kind of dodge some of the, I mean, there's nothing good. I mean, of, if you go there to work, basically. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, if you work, I you know if you're if you're a fashion writer or if you're I know plenty of people who go for the for the what you might call like off hours. Okay. And so I'm I'm there to work not at the fair but when people leave the fair then I can meet them or, the, or we can talk and have you know meetings. Yeah. Um but yeah, it, you you want it to be I would say 60/40 is a good ratio. That's probably a good ratio everywhere you go if you're if you're lucky to have the freelance life.
0: Right. Um, how was Naples? So I saw you, you visited some tailors out there. Naples,
1: Naples to me is is the next place for just on a purely travel. Uh, if if you if you like Mexico City, if you want to go somewhere that's that's a, tr- a good comparison, dramatic and alive, and you yeah. can do it on a on a very reasonable budget. Um, I really recommend Naples. The summer is a more intense time to do it because of the the extraordinary heat. Um, but Naples is a really really great place, especially if you give yourself some time to to ex- explore it a little bit. The museums are great. There's some great churches. The food is fantastic. But to, to your point about tailoring, I mean, it's happening there. I mean, it is happening. And to go into tailors and to watch people work and the culture of that is an incredible thing. And that's in Naples, but throughout Italy. I was just r- working on a story about the best tailors and Milan, Rome, Florence, and Naples, and to go into the rooms where people are working, that's a real, that's a real thing. <laughs> and, and that to me, I, I'm always happy to pay for clothes where the money goes to people who've spent their life learning how to do something. Right. I don't want to spend money on people where that money is going to an advertising budget. On some ridiculous fragrance that's going to end up in a duty free store or anything like that, <laughs> and and when you see what the people do and what they've learned and how they the the craftsmanship of it, that's some inspiring shit. Yeah, and and the culture that allows that to continue, that's inspiring. And that's not—I don't have that many suits made in Naples, and most people don't. But it's something to see it done, and and to know that it exists, and to kind of and to hope and to try to support that. Uh, support that whether it's writing about it um, is the way I would do it and, and if you're buying it of course that help, helps too but I think Naples is a great great place for people to go and if they have time and a flexible schedule and they're in Italy Naples can be a very really, re- really a place to to feel alive yeah. I, I mean you, you are alive when you are there it, it, it can be intense too and in the first few times I went there, I didn't quite have a handle on it. And once I, I got to know some people who live there and showed me around, right. I, I'm, I'm really into it. And okay, so you have about five espressos a day, and, but uh, yeah. that, that helps. And, um, I'm, I'm pro Naples in a big way.
0: Did you commission anything?
1: You know, I didn't, I, I bought, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm not sure if you make really good or really bad decisions when you're abroad and you're shopping. And I, I don't shop that often, but sometimes I get carried away. And, and at Rubinacci they were just selling oh sh- some shirts, just shirts, not even the dress shirt, what they call their casual shirt, which is still a button-up shirt, with these enormous collars. I was completely obsessed by them. So I I got a couple and they were, you know, reasonably priced. I I didn't, so no, I did not commission anything. I should have answered a firm no, 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 nothing, no bespoke anything. But um, there's always the threat of that, especially because when you go to these places, you find, I don't want to call them secondary, but lesser known tailors. Right. At at a much different price point. Yes. As an industry phrase. And, and, And that is a very appealing thing. Because, I mean, what's cooler than having your own secret Naples tailor that makes you a safari jacket or some you know, ridiculously cool khaki suit? And uh, I, I generally support that obsessiveness in other people because it, uh, it's probably too much to commit to that. But when you're around these Italian guys, they've got so many suits you can't even believe it. It makes anything we do seem normal. Those
0: people are dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, it's, I'm not very good at like, shopping when I travel because I can easily convince myself to buy whatever that is because I'm, it's already a special occasion. I'm like, well, I'm traveling. You know, I'm going to get something, something nice.
1: Huge danger. After lunch, nice boozy lunch, and you're like, I'm in Paris, I'm in Milan, I'm in Tokyo. The, the number one thing is don't buy a hat when you're on vacation. Uh. Because the hat, unless it's a straw hat, you need to wear while you're there. Because the, the local hat that made sense in Spain or wherever it is, when you wear it back, uh. and you're like, <laughs> oh no, what happened? What was I thinking? It's, it's almost like uh, espadrilles that you know, tie around, up around your ankle or something. You're like, well, everyone was doing it in Mallorca. And you're like, well... Yeah. keep it in my
0: arc. Yeah, well, yeah, now you're in New York. Um this has been really really good. Is there is there any other stuff we you know, we didn't cover you want to add or mention? So oh, this is uh,
1: thank you so much. Um I well Men and Manners is the next book is um I'm not I don't know if we're talking about the name of it, it's coming out in April of next year. And um Men in Style is still still out there. It's fun to um to see it. One one weird thing that I wouldn't have thought would happen is the way Instagram is now and is such an immediate way of communicating. I think even maybe a year ago or definitely two years ago, you did not communicate to people through Instagram message.
0: That's true. Yeah. Instagram messenger is like its own beast. Yeah. And
1: I get so many messages from, from guys asking me questions, writing about things, pictures of the book. It's a, it's a funny, intimate way of getting to know the people who are reading your work. And a nice way, and yeah, and uh, you know, and funny enough, younger guys asking questions about what sport code is sued or where to shop or even where to stay in Naples, all these questions are coming in, and it it's um, and I always respond. Oh, you do uh, I mean every time that's, the, the, that's the, very nice. the of funniest you. thing about having a book out and and doing a lot of events around it is, you, you really have to be nice a lot. <laughs> I was, it's exhausting. So I, 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 I'm always happy to, you know, if you don't, if you don't respond, or if you don't feel some connection to people who take the time to do that, then why even write a book in the first place, as far as I'm concerned? And so it's, I always try to, to be, to, to connect. And if, if people have questions, you know, why, why not help them try to solve it in a, in a good way, but.
0: Yeah, that's, um, that's it's really just, nice It's just you. funny
1: that, the, that Instagram makes, like, you're talking about being nervous to go to talk to Glenn O'Brien. Now it's like the intimacy or seamlessness of the Instagram message or c- commenting on Twitter or posting a photo of a book or something or tagging. It's, it's amazing how close we are to people in Sweden or New Zealand or wherever else right. it is. And you know that exists in, in, a, in theory, but it, I guess it's funny in practice and uh and it's 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 is nice to um you know to to know that something exists out there that or to feel a connection to the people who've who've bought it or are reading it or and hopefully enjoying it.
0: Yeah. I I had someone who came up to me once and they were like, "Hey, how's how's Peggy?" And I was like, "What the fuck?" And I was like, "Oh, my dog, which I take photos of a lot on Instagram, and his name Peggy." And like that was cool and it but it was also like kind of weird and it but on one hand, I looked at it as like, "Oh, that's really nice that someone that someone cares." But also, I'm like, "I got to be careful of what I put out there." It's so th- there's a weird thing now about
1: Instagram where someone would be like, "Well, I saw you were in Antwerp." Yeah. And 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 I kind of think they're saying that just to keep you from talking about it in a way, but it is that weird sense of of intimacy, and I this is just another thing that I don't think we've processed about how to um, talk about your dog or this person's trip or these new shoes or that yeah. whatever it is and and uh, yeah so maybe you know mystery isn't the worst thing when it comes to the internet but it's hard to maintain the mystique
0: I have to ask you these other few questions yes. before we finally wrap up um, if you had to pick three tailors oh. that you're going to wear for oh. the rest of your life what's it going to be
1: well despite my love for Italian tailor most are would be Italian but I still I mean Anderson and Shepard Savile Row still the classic English tailor with a softer, less construction. People get confused about what Savile Row is about. If they just wander into any place there, they're getting a, a really structured jacket. They, most That's Americans true. are not ready for that when they get it. Yeah. And where, where they want to be is Anderson and Shepard, which is still like, immaculate. And then then let's go go, go down to Italy. I mean, Rubinacci is... is so wonderful um my new my new interest I don't have a quote from him, but is sartorio Ripenze. this great guy he's got a shop in in Rome that's wonderful oh yes and um and I love Liverano and Liverano and in Florence you know these are big big life changing investments depending on who you are, so in some cases it's like I just admire them and and maybe it it aligns one time and and I'm just happy they're there. You know, but those all those tailors are great. I mean being being around these these people and seeing their scissors and how they have their workshops set up and little uh, paintings of you know, Virgin Mary on their walls and listening to
0: their version of public radio. I mean it's incredible. <laughs> That's cool. Well, thank you again oh, so pleasure. much for doing this. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for your book. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate all right, let's it. See you. You've been listening to Blammo. If you like what you heard, leave a review. It helps let others know and discover the show. Subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me elsewhere on the web on Instagram and Facebook at Blammo Podcast. Or send me an email at jeremy at blamopod.com. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.